Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm Zafir Zviglinska, international fashion reporter, filling in for Jill Manoff this week. And today I'm talking with Rixo co-founder Henrietta Ricks. The women's wear brand, uh, based in the UK, is known for its vintage-inspired printed dresses, and it has evolved since its launch in 2015. It counts some very, very esteemed um, guests as its fans, including Taylor Swift and Duchess of Cambridge. So hi, Henrietta, how are you? Hi, Zofia. Great, thanks. Thanks for having me as well. Excited for this conversation. Brilliant. Well, it's lovely to have you on and so exciting to have a brand which has kind of really grown up over the last couple of years and expanded. I think you've had some really big launches this year. I was wondering if you could just kind of give me a little bit of an intro into your background in fashion and also creating the brand. I know that you had some very interesting stories around doing it from university all the way through to to here. Yeah, absolutely. So Rixo has been a real journey, to say the least. Um, and it's been pretty much all Aula and I have known for our whole 20s, really. So we both met at university when we were 18, 19 at London College of Fashion. Um, we studied fashion management and it was a four year course. So it was all about kind of buying. We learned about the PR, merchandising, um, more the business side of fashion than the actual creative side. But both Ola and I were really creative in ourselves and we used to love going to vintage fairs at the weekend. Hungover or not, as students, we'd find the most random places to go on a Sunday to vintage fairs. And it was that at that time where everyone, all our kind of students, similar students were wearing Zara all the time, buying stuff the whole time. And it just didn't really sit right with us or even our personal style. Um, so obviously you'd buy the odd thing, but it was really those things that we treasured in our wardrobes that were gorgeous could be 1920s dresses that are over 100 years old that you were buying that were 100% silk, gorgeous prints. And it was like, why could you do that years ago and not now? So then we just kind of had this idea that we could do something like vintage inspired, but we didn't really know what it was. Um, And long story short, we worked together on a project, I think in our third year, where we had to go out into industry and we were knocking on loads of designers like doors in east london so we went to christopher kane and everyone to try and trying to get a project someone that would let two students in and do a project but we ended up working with jeffrey who was from anthropodium at the time an australian contemporary brand um and we did a project for him we worked really well together and then our tutor actually said you two you should you two should think of doing something together maybe after uni um and i think that probably planted the seed and then about six months after we both graduated we just set the brand up. So we were still in our uni living room where we'd done our dissertation and had our final year. Um, so it was very much humble beginnings. We didn't have any investors. We put a minimal sum in each just to buy ourselves laptops, a camera. Um, and we went from there really. We made our first sample set and then started to wholesale the brand, meet stylists, press ourselves, spent summers around London sweltering in the heat on the tube showing all the press our samples and the price points and I think god it was like eight nine years ago now so I feel like at the time there were no real dress brands that were doing beautiful quality hand-painted print silk at that price point and that's what we really believed in um so that's a, a snapshot of how how we began. Brilliant. I love that. I know it's such an interesting time when you're in your friends at uni conceptualizing all these big plans and then actually seeing something in action. When was the first like breakthrough moment for you guys? You know, the first time that you had some real social media attention or print where your label kind of started to take off? I think for us, we launched with our website straight away when we first launched I think it was we sold our first dress in September 2015 
And then it was in January 2016 that we showed our next, our second collection, or I think it was our third collection actually, in Paris. And Nessa Porter picked us up. Um, and that was a really big moment for the brand because it just gave all the other wholesale accounts and all the stores around the world, so Le Bon Marche, Saks, Liberty, Harrods, you name it. It gave them credibility. Actually, well, Nessa Porter picked this brand up. And at the time, Nessa Porter didn't have a big collection of contemporary brands because there weren't really that many. There was self-portrait and that was about it. So that really was kind of like a true pinch me moment. Like I still remember when the purchase order came through and then when it went live on the um live on their website and we were like, oh God, they're gonna take it might take away sales from our own e-com. But actually because it took, it made the brand global pretty much overnight. Like straight away, we saw these, we'd wake up in the morning and our laptops would have our Shopify login and we'd see all these random customer orders from like Germany and Japan and everywhere. And we were like, oh my God, where have these customers heard us from? But they'd obviously seen us on Netsporter, come to our website, um, which we did for a minimal sum of money. It was a very basic website, but we'd had the full collection there. So people were then buying it and then We'd walk down to the post office and send the orders off. But that I think the Nessa Porter securing that account was a really big moment for the brand. And it came pretty early on. So um, that was a moment we'll always remember. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, it's such a, a key kind of moment for brands. You know, when you get that first kind of moment of attention, you start seeing those orders come in. And fast forward to now, how big is your company and what are your kind of projections for the year? I know that you've had some really incredible um, sales up now and it feels like the brand is kind of taking its next step. Yeah, so definitely we're on our growth journey. I mean, we're kind of We've been startup for the last eight years and we still are startup but and we don't have any investors but we're definitely on a big growth um curve at the moment where we're looking to really invest into back into the brand hence the launch of our big flagship that we opened in april so that's a five thousand square foot store in london before that we'd only ever really had tiny stores that are about 700 800 square foot so they really did have a, a boutique feel to them so definitely our physical presence we're looking to expand upon we don't believe that retail like physical retail is dead um Online as well, we've got big expansion plans for particularly the US as well. Like how do we serve that customer out there, make them feel like they're getting like a localized service, um, talking to them that, that feels relevant to their own cultural pockets, wherever they are, if it's LA, Texas, New York. Um, so e-com definitely we've got some big, big targets of growth there. Um and then wholesale as well. Like we've always found wholesale a great global marketing tool. It's brilliant to cherry pick and be in the best stores. And then that customer that's on the ground can see the brand, touch touch the dresses, try things on, especially with us being predominantly a dresses brand. I think to really try the dress on, it looks so much different than it does online. You can really feel it and you get the essence of actually, this fits me really well. I feel flattering in this dress so wholesale as well um we've just signed within a agency in america to really elevate those sales out there brilliant that sounds so exciting and just kind of going back Lots to your to store <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. I mean, it's a very big market and, and localization has been kind of a challenge for a lot of brands. But going back to your store, I mean, your retail presence in terms of your latest store opening is incredible. You've got, you know, a standalone bridal suite. You've got the alteration section, which is obviously a growing market for a lot of brands. You've got coffee kiosks, like cocktails. Like it seems like a whole kind of Rixo experience. Is that something that you're planning on bringing to the US as well? I think definitely eventually we'd love to do that. I mean, to bring that to the US straight away, we'd have to do it through wholesale partners. We wouldn't have the investment and infrastructure internally to be able to 
open stores around the US and have like coffee kiosks, bars, alterations, bridles. So I think how we'll do that in the US is definitely partnering with those major department stores and getting in the best stores out there, trialing. It's, it's all about trial and error as well, seeing which, okay, you can be in Saks or Nordstrom, but it's like which doors out of those, however many hundreds of doors they've got, what are the top eight doors? Can you learn from that? Can you get your data to back it up with e-com? And then really kind of then invest in physical retail. So never say never. It's not on the immediate plan for the next two years. We really want to work with our wholesale um, accounts to do that for us and do some really exciting, fun shop shopping shops and pop-up concepts in America, definitely. But the flagship store, 100%, we've always wanted to do it. It's been a dream to have like a real destination for our shoppers to go to immerse themselves into the brand and feel like, actually, do you know what? I can go in. I can go in with my girlfriends. Even if someone's looking for a dress and we're not, we can have a coffee or a few drinks and we can have a look around the store and just like actually enjoy shopping again. Like I find shopping really stressful and especially when things don't fit you or you're not having Mm. great service. It's like you walk away feeling really kind of just a bit upset and it's nice now I think our customers when you go into the actual store and you see the customers they're all coming out of fitting rooms like advising each other mums and daughters come in and it's just great to have that whole like community back together so I feel mm. like the store's really done that yeah I can imagine and obviously retail is such a big thing right now it's kind of coming back after the pandemic in a big way was there any kind of impact that the pandemic had on your brand I know that it was a difficult time for for many of those in the fashion industry yeah, of course. Well, I, ca- I can't lie. Like, obviously, we're predominantly a dresses brand. Um, we're very much silk occasion. I think when people think of Rixa, they think wedding dress guest. That's kind of what they go for. If they've got the races or they've got a special occasion in their life or they want to feel really good about themselves, they'll invest into a Rixo dress and also workwear dresses as well. So people obviously, one, not going into the office, not going into work, presenting in meetings, and then two, weddings and every single occasion, birthday celebrations were cancelled so we did have to pivot and really think okay how are we going to market to this customer how are we going to continue talking to her I mean I think we did lives on Instagram most evenings um all from our houses so we'd show them the new collection we didn't actually stop designing we just designed more in a way where we thought actually what's going on right now can we be reactive to this so we did launch all our pjs um with sustainable cotton and they did really well and it was really about actually how can you wear those pjs in a really nice way where the top you could pair with your jeans and be on a Zoom call and show it that way. But then also if you're going on a dog walk, can they be really light? Because, I mean, the weather was boiling as well. We had such an incredible heat wave during the first lockdown. So how yeah. can we have really light cottons and linens within those PJs as well? Um, so we did have to pivot. We were really reactive. I think the beauty of Rixo is that we can be agile. The team were amazing. I mean, I was so shocked. I thought we'd I remember sending an email saying to everyone, take your laptop chargers home and your laptops and we'll see you all next week. Like just going to have to ride this week out. And it literally turned into about two years where we were riding it out and we actually then moved offices (laughs) during COVID. So yeah, it was, it was a really testing time, but I think it makes businesses stronger if you go through that. And it wasn't as if it was something that we were going through alone. Every other fashion brand was going through it. I mean, it was really difficult because things like our wholesale orders like people were just like we've got hundreds of customers globally and they were just closing their warehouses so they couldn't take any stock so it it was a really tough time it wasn't an easy time but I think we navigated through it and we're a stronger business because of it yeah definitely and you came back onto the scene quite such a like big way at London Fashion Week I know that you know the kind of exploration aspect you know all of the sourcing that you did during that time 
after the pandemic, like that was something that really kind of brought to mind your collection travel um, and kind of expanding on, you know, all of those occasion style pieces that you guys are known for. Is that something that, you know, you kind of did very intentionally um, to connect with those customers who had, you know, essentially been stuck inside for, for two years? I think just naturally everyone had this urge to be kind of either book your first holiday or even go out to the pub and celebrate or just be with friends and congregate. So I think it was just a natural human instinct that people had, especially when it comes to inspiration behind. Most of our collections are inspired by a culture or nature or something that you actually see and it's quite tangible. Um, So I think that was really difficult, especially for Orla and the design team during COVID to one, be doing all fit sessions from home um, to be finding it really difficult to get inspiration because I mean, all I had to rely, I'd say, heavily on like books and the internet and all that sort of stuff. So definitely when, as soon as travel was back open, I think it was just a natural kind of connection that everyone felt that they wanted to either travel or book a holiday or just do something outdoors, um, not be stuck inside. So I'd say it was kind of a natural progression, really. And I know that, you know, you're one of the few brands, I would say, that are kind of truly inclusive. Um, I know that it's one of the only brands on the London Fashion Week schedule that produces clothes in sizes 6 to 24 UK. And I know that you're producing your first size 26 collection in collaboration with influencer Abisola Amole. Um, I think that's just come out. So I'm wondering, you know, in that terms of that inclusivity, I know that that's not something you guys shout about, but it's very interesting to see, you know, contemporary brand cater to all of these sizes. Do you know what? It's been something that Ola and I have been really passionate about from day one. I think when you first start, it's really hard to educate the customer that if you're working with a supplier and you're only doing 30 units or 50 units of one garment, for them to grade that into over 10 different sizes is pretty much impossible because they'd only be making one or two of each size and the workload and the efficiency that goes into that. So it has taken us up to eight years to actually be able to produce garments up until a size 26. Also as well, like Ola and the Fit team have spent years with like really perfecting how they do grade the sizing, getting the blocks right, because it's not, you've got to train your factories as well to work with you. So internally, it's been a really, a really a long process and we've, and we've been saying to the customer, I promise you it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So I think it's really nice to actually stand by your word and then release it. And we had such a phenomenal reaction to the collection that we've just launched that, like you said, goes up to a size 26. And it's just so nice to see all different customers, shapes and sizes come in, different ages. And actually one dress can look gorgeous on a size eight. And then it can look absolutely stunning on someone who's a size 18 as well. They just wear it in a different way. And it's like, it's getting fabrications that drape on the body really well. Um, but I think that's the beauty of Rixo. We really do try and be inclusive. And it's not a marketing scheme for us. Like we don't kind of, we're not kind of greenwashing people or saying, do you know what? We don't drum at home. We just stick by saying what we're doing. And if we are wrong and if we use a wrong word, we will say, look, do you know what? We're so sorry. It didn't, didn't mean to do that. Um, so I think always listening to your customers and then, doing something that you really believe in as well. Like we've always believed in that and it's just been just time really to get it into process. But we're also working on petites as well because it goes both ways. Like we have so many customers that say, oh, I'm five foot one and I have to shorten everything and it's really annoying. Can you work on a petites range? So that's also coming. Um, It's going to take another year internally, but that's something as well that we feel passionate about. Um, So it's just constantly improving and evolving as the brand grows, but staying true to our core DNA, which is, that gorgeous dress, the quality, the flattering silhouettes, um, 
and being quite feminine really but definitely diversifying when it comes to the the sizing whether that's grading it up or down yeah of course and I'm assuming that happens the same way for your bridal collection which you've you know recently launched as well and I know it's quite a big market right now everyone's kind of getting back to weddings in a really big way so obviously yeah. with these new kind of category expansions like bridal wears one home wears another that you launched um this January all of these things are they kind of broadening out the Rixo customer like how are you making that experience more personalized for your customer exactly I think what we know we're really good at and what our DNA is, is dresses so bridal was a natural evolution of the brand and it was really what we were really proud of with the bridal is that people think of Rixo and they think of the prints straight away and the color and the mixed prints and stuff but it actually the amount of time that goes into the fit and the fabrications is just as important for us so when you strip all that away and you've just got a white or a cream or a champagne colored silk um, or satin it's actually really nice to then see those silhouettes on brides and loads of customers have said to us and it was just like customers being like oh my god like I want to get married I don't want to spend an absolute fortune on a dress and also a bride that wants to come in and be able to try it on in her size so she's a size 14 or 16 she doesn't have to wait for a sample or have something bespoke she can actually come in and try a dress on in a size 16 or 14 or 12 or whatever size she wants to try that on in so I think to have it like off the peg ready to wear bridal was kind of really missing like I know when I was shopping for bridal I was like you'd go to some shops and they'd have it in a size six or an eight. And I'd be like, well, I can't fit into that. Um, and it's just really difficult and it makes it not an inclusive experience at all. People come away stressed from it. And I think Ola and I were going through a stage where lots of our friends were going through that process as well. Um, and I think one of the first dresses that Ola actually designed, a bridal dress, was for her sister. So she was doing a bespoke one for her sister because she couldn't find anything. And then we thought, you know what, actually – there really is a gap in the market for this. So we launch, we only do two collections a year. We keep our core continuity styles that the brides just love. Um, and we really focus it and narrow it down. So our party dresses actually do really well. So the second dress that people just want to feel themselves, they want to dance in, they want to party and they want to have a good time. They want to maybe get out of a more structured gown. Um, then that's where I think we really, um, we do really well with like the feathers, minis, the sequins, um, so those party bridal pieces, we actually separate the collection into like ceremony, um, your registry and then your party pieces as well. So it can be really tailored to what the bride wants. Yeah, of course. And what about homeworks? Obviously, that is a new, completely new category for you guys, um, but also something that, you know, calls on all of those prints um, and patterns that you guys use in your dresses collections. Yeah, so I think, I mean, people are constantly saying, you need to do more homeware. When's homeware coming? When's a full collection coming? And it is something that eventually we will launch with a big bang down the line in a couple of years. But I think for the moment, there's so much to do with the brand both internally and externally when it comes to actually getting what we do really right and like globalizing the brand and making sure we can just have more customers, a bigger community. Um, homeware we are obsessed with, we absolutely love. Um, I think, again, we both like bought our first houses and when it comes to the interior, you get obsessed with it. So I think if you're creative, you naturally just love kind of that element. Um, so we've always wanted to do it. It's something that's definitely in the pipeline. Uh, we launched a really small collection that was in collaboration um, in January and that's gone really well it was vases throws blankets um, coasters trays really nice price points as well that's attainable because sometimes when you bought a house and you paid your mortgage and you've got your bills it's actually 
you want your house to feel like yourself or even if you're renting somewhere you do but you still have like a budget so it's nice to actually have that attainable price point so doing what we do in fashion where you've got that contemporary price point doing that in homeware as well um so that's what we try to do with the with the small collection that we launched in january and there'll definitely be be more coming um but it'll just take its time until we really perfect it Oh, I can imagine. And you mentioned cost a few times already. Is that kind of one of your kind of customer acquisition strategies that you prioritize this pricing that is accessible, you know, at times when customers might be thinking about saving their money or at least not spending as much? Um, I'm assuming that that's still something that they're very conscious about. Definitely. And I think instead of it being just about cost, it's more about the value that you're going to give your customer. So say if it is a shirt dress or something it's like okay how do I wear that to work how can I wear it at the weekends and then can I take it on holiday can I wear it at the airport and showing her different ways to style that dress so actually you're not saving that one dress for the best occasion you're wearing it once a year it's actually like do you know what I'm going to wear that at the weekend I'm going to wear that and you get your pound per wear and then it feels like really true value so that's what whenever whenever we launch a collection it's like right how do we style it in a way where she can wear it with flats really casual but also she can dress it up as well like I wear some of my Rixo dresses and my favorite dresses are the ones that I can literally wear over and over again whether it be I'm going to work going to a wedding and it's just like they're the pieces that I love and pull out again and again so I think with our customer obviously cost is important but it's really more about showing her the true value of something Yeah, of course. And what are your kind of challenges as a business right now? Because I know that it can be a little bit of a challenging time right now. It seems like, you know, supply chain challenges are easing. However, there's probably more of an issue with customer acquisition. So what are your challenges right now? I think Brexit has been a massive challenge for us. So our costs have just skyrocketed. It's been really painful. (laughs) Um, We've had to open a 3PL in Europe just to fulfill our wholesale orders that go to Europe. Um, Previously to Brexit, we had a UK warehouse that it was fine to fulfill globally, but really the customs, the duties, the taxes that you get paid make it so inefficient that when you're sending one order out to Germany and then a customer returns it, by the time you paid all the duties and the taxes and the customs and it's come back to you, it's just not it's not worth sending that order out really and um, financially. So Brexit has been a massive headache for us. Um that our CFA has been all over. So we have we found our solution, which is to um to open that 3PL in Europe. Um and it seems to be doing well. But it's just like we had a re- well, we do have a really big Irish customer base, but even to set send to Dublin is really difficult. So if we wanted to turn on paid marketing. We don't have the margin there to do it because of Brexit now, whereas before we would have had that margin. But like you said, acquiring new customers, it is difficult because everyone's bidding on the same terms online. Marketing spend goes up. Once you've hit the low-hanging fruit, it's then really competitive. And you've got to think, okay, what is the long-term versus the short-term gain here? Is it worth it? Or do we need to do more organic and more brand activity? Um, so yeah, that's definitely another challenge as well. And I think e-com... Um, within that channel the returns rate and whether you offer free returns free shipping what's everyone else doing in the market what does your customer expect um and being sustainable at the same time doing all of that is is a tough challenge for any fashion brand brexit has been something that's kind of come up again and again in conversations with uk brands and young designers um i know it's something that has had a really big impact um on people and you mentioned marketing there what is your kind of marketing approach right now and how are you kind of approaching the the various funnel what's things that you would definitely invest in again so we have lots of i think for us this year like our organic brand marketing is something that we 
we used to for the first six years of the brand we were just purely organic we didn't have any paid social or paid media um marketing at all and I think you can get trapped into a route of actually turning that paid on and then relaxing on all the organic stuff and the organic stuff is really the word of mouth people talking about the brand so that is something we definitely know we want to focus on the flagship's been a great example of that just being like a buzz and a talking point about the brand as well so that is really great brand marketing money that's spent um to really get the brand talk get you talking again the brand um but then online as well um e-com paid marketing it's really about acquiring the right traffic and making sure actually all your ads that you're putting out there whether you're kind of at the purchase level acquiring new customers or just brand awareness ads making sure that you're spending your money wisely and really evaluating that as well internally so it's the data really that is is key to looking at how we spend our money there. Well, you were talking about marketing and I know that obviously there's a lot of new um, platforms out right now in terms of social media. Is there anywhere that you're focusing on right now? I know for a lot of fashion brands, Instagram is still the main priority. Um, Is it for you guys or are you exploring new options? It's still the case. Instagram and Facebook are our key our key kind of drivers when it comes to paid activity um, for social. We dabble in TikTok and we have a TikTok account, but it's not a focus for us. We're not laser focused on TikTok and acquiring that younger customer. I think it's nice to jump on trends. If a celebrity wears something, then that can go a bit viral and one dress can, can do really well. But definitely, I think I just agree that Instagram and Facebook are our core core areas where we'd we'd tackle first brilliant and as a kind of early preview I would say would you have you know any insights into what you're doing for your new collection with London Fashion Week are you thinking about presenting in any different formats I think presenting will keep it similar what we are doing now is we're showing in New York so we've never really done that before which means that the calendar starts a little bit earlier so we do have to have all our branded assets earlier that are created in August now instead of waiting till September because New York shows earlier and before London so as a as a brand we really have to get all those creative assets and the collection and the lookbooks ready um so we will be pitching those out seeding those out not just to buyers but to press as well um a little bit earlier so that will be a change this season for us that's so interesting I didn't know you were even showing in New York it's not a presentation format it's more of like we have a, a studio space and it's okay. just really nice for press and buyers to come in and see the collection, see the lookbook, meet the team. Um, but I think being out there is key, especially when we're when we're really trying to focus on that as a market. So we're really excited for it. It just means everything starts earlier, so you don't get an August off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Europe is used to that, but US maybe not. So I understand yeah. that September is is needed for that planning. Um, and I know that you obviously reported um, a very kind of big turnover. I think the last figures that I had that you rose 69.7% for the financial year ending June 2022. Um, so in terms of that turnover, it seems like you guys have got a real kind of steady revenue coming. Is there any other new markets that you're approaching um, or thinking about? I know that obviously the US is a priority, um, but is there any other kind of markets, Saudi, for example, that is something that you'd like to be focusing on yeah so when it comes to direct and our brand marketing we're definitely going to focus and stay laser focused both on the UK because more we can do here in the UK I think we've got a very London-centric customer but it's how do we go after those regional pockets as well so Edinburgh, Glasgow, Manchester um, and different areas outside of London so UK 
we obviously talk about expansion and stuff, but we don't want our team to forget about the UK as well. There's still a big market to go after here. Um, and then, like you said, US is definitely our second focus um, when it comes to global reach. So wholesale is going to be a key driver of that. And then we're actually going over to LA in August. So in a few weeks, um, just to meet some stylist agencies, press agencies, and just be there on the ground and really understand the culture out there. Um and how people shop, meet some of our wholesale partners. So we're really looking forward to that. So America, like I've said, is definitely a focus. And then when it comes to wholesale as well, like Australia does really well for us. We've got great connections when it comes to those brand influencers, our wholesale doors, both independent doors, and then the majors like David Jones. So that is a um, a key focus for us as well. I think naturally the climate and the product out there works really well. And we did a big press launch when we first launched Rick. So well, probably four or five years ago with Neth Porter. And since then, we've always had like quite a strong traffic coming from Australia. Logistically, it's a bit more of a nightmare. So it's not our key, key focus. I mean, we've got lots to do when it comes to the US and really dividing that up into, okay, what's our strategy for New York? What's our strategy for LA? Is there a Texas strategy as well that's a bit more organic, but then bubbling? So I'd say there are key areas. And I guess finally, I know that, you know, with contemporary brands, it's a little bit easier to approach um, sustainability, which has been a, you know, a massive thing in fashion right now with growing le- legislation. Is that something that, you know, you guys are thinking about? I know that the smaller kind of production runs um, and the types of materials that you use has made that, you know, this is kind of one of the more sustainable contemporary UK brands out there. Definitely. So we've actually got um, a dedicated sustainability manager within the team now. So at the end of April, we launched our sustainability manifesto where we made some key promises for the next three to five years that we really want to hit across different um, areas of the business but like you said a key thing for us is we're not a brand that goes into sales so as soon as a merchandiser comes into Rixo we have to almost retrain them that we don't buy for full price and then we buy x amount for sale as well like we have really strong sell throughs that we really believe in and we want to hit um, and it does mean that we miss sales and we run out of sizes and things can become fragmented earlier than another fashion brand but I think it makes our customer know that actually these pieces are limited, they are special and they don't go into sales. So I think the biggest thing that's wrong with fashion at the moment is one, the overconsumption, but then also that most brands have a three or four or five different sale periods where it's a mid-season sale, end of season sale, and they're just churning through so much stock. Whereas for us, we really try and train our customer that this isn't going to go into sale. We buy really carefully so that we don't have excess stock at the end of the year or the end of the season. We really do try and sell through. Um Obviously, lots of people think when you're growing, you need to buy more stock and have more sales and then you'll get more revenue. I mean, we could probably increase our revenue tenfold if we were going to do big end of markets, end of um, season sales. But I think, like you said, the sustainability and the longevity of the brand is is really key to us. And part, making sure our partners believe in that as well. So our... Um, our suppliers are really behind us when there's a new initiative and wholesalers as well are getting really tight on it. Like you can't ship certain things unless they've had X amount of audit. So it is becoming the norm now within the industry that I think some of customers obviously see the end result, but they don't see all the hard work that goes into it as well. Like you can't even ship to some of our major customers without having three or four audits for just one garment. Um, they want to know everything about the factory, um, how it was produced, how it's been shipped, um, so it is, it's a constant, it's a constant for the brand and we're always trying to improve and there's always more to do. Brilliant. All right. Well, I think that that is all of my questions. Thank you so much, Henrietta, for coming on to the Glossy Podcast. Um, and it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I hope that was insightful for any of the listeners and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great to chat. 
That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone else you think would. We'll be back next week. <laughs>